Well, one of the great privileges of life is the privilege of honoring and uh, honoring the Lord by honoring his word. And of course, that's what we're about to do today. As we look back at the last couple of messages that we were looking at, uh, we remember, first of all, that God is good in his very essence, just in his nature. God is good by nature. There's nothing in God that is not good. Even God's wrath is good. Everything about God uh, intrinsically is good by his very nature. In Exodus 33, Moses came to the living God and uh, said to God, show me your glory. And God responded to that by showing him an incredible glory, which is his goodness. God would not be glorious without his goodness. And so that was the demonstration of his glory to Moses. And then we talked about the fact that God was good in creation. God saw all that he had made, everything that he had made, all of it was good through and through it was good. And so we can exalt in our Lord for the fact that he is good. But then something happened, something bad, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And that bad thing is the fact that rebels took over and brought curse and brokenness to this earth. Someone brought ruin to God's creation, sin and brokenness and death. But God was not going to be deterred even by that. And so in his goodness, uh, this great champion of the world, the great king over all of the universe, uh, he is going to see creation restored to the way that it ought to be. And the bottom line to all of it is God is really good to rebels. He is very good to rebels. Now, some of the material that we're going to be looking at is a pretty difficult to swallow. One of the things I appreciate about Pastor Dan is his willingness to tackle things that are hard, to just go right at them, to have those hard conversations. And he will say something like, you know what, neither of us or none of us want to have this conversation, but we need to have it. And so he'll do that. That's a great encouragement. It's a good strategy. It's not always true. There are times when we need to let things settle down and maybe come back to it later, but he's good at doing that. And that's what we need to do when it comes to Genesis 3. We need to have the hard conversation. Not only is it good theology for us to do it, but it is also life for us. And so we'll be looking today at three offenses that every human being commits, not just Adam and Eve, but all of us have committed them. That's the hard conversation part of this morning's message. But then also the promises which are life for us. And so we'll be looking at Genesis 3, verse 6, 7, 15, and then very briefly we'll be looking at verses 16 through 21. But specifically we want to look at verse 15, where God to the accuser of our soul says this, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head, speaking of the serpent, the devil, but you shall bruise his heel, which of course refers to the cross. Well, about 60 years ago or so, uh, when I was about four years old, I was just a youngster at the time, my parents brought, uh, bought my brother and I Civil War uniforms. Now, back in the day, things were different than they are now. You could buy a whole box of Civil War soldiers with the cannons and all that, and you would play Civil War, and you could buy Civil War uniforms. The Civil War was a big deal back then. 
And uh, I remember specifically that one of those uniforms was blue, which referred, of course, to the Union, and the other uniform was gray, which spoke of the rebels. Well, guess which one I wanted? And guess which one my brother wanted? Neither of us wanted the Union uniform. We both decided that we wanted to be rebels. And so there was a little mini civil war that broke out in our house over who was going to get the gray uniform. But the bottom line was very simple. Deep down, I wanted to be the rebel. And of course, I still do. Now, I don't want to be a rebel in the sight of God. We understand that part. But there is that instinct of it within us to want to be rebellious. Being rebellious really is part of the human DNA, and it was caused, of course, by the fall. We're looking today at God's treatment of rebels, and we're speaking of human beings, human rebels who deserve the wrath of God, but instead of the wrath of God, God offers us goodness and grace. And so we're going to look at three very terrible offenses, those are the hard conversations, and then two very good responses, all responses by God. And the first offense is this, the offense of preferring the devil over God. The offense of preferring the devil over God. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. All of that flowing from verse 5, which says the promise of the devil that if you eat that fruit, you will be like God. You talk about a sinister, evil, horrible lie. That is the lie of the devil. You will be like God. We're just talking about rebellion today. We're talking about folly. We're talking about the proclivity of the human being to prefer any voice at all above God's or besides God's voice. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, God comes to Adam and Eve. He says, here it is, paradise. You can have all of it. You can have any of it. Any tree in the garden except this, just just this one tree. You're not allowed to eat from that tree. Sounds like a good deal to me. Living in paradise, all kinds of things to enjoy. However, out of all of those options, there's just one thing that you cannot do. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the question is, what are they going to do? Are they going to, on one hand, trust and prefer the voice of the living God, or are they going to trust and prefer the voice of a serpent, the serpent, the everlasting serpent, the devil himself? Well, he's not everlasting, but he'll be around in eternity, just not with us, which will be a wonderful thing. Even the fact that God would grant to us, to Adam and Eve, such a privilege as this one, you can make a choice is a wonderful goodness from God. Because God could have been despotic, right? He could have been a tyrant. He could have made us like robots, but he didn't do that. He gave us a choice. Even the choice itself was a great gift of God, but we did not handle that gift very well. And so the result of that is the devil brought about this offense within Adam and Eve, the very, very offensive to God, 
That is, Adam and Eve preferred the voice of the devil even over the voice of God in the Garden of Eden. I would say, sad to say, that we're not all that much different. That we still wrestle with that. And if you're lost, you totally don't wrestle with it because you're already under the power of the evil one. This past week, uh, someone left a magazine in my box that was called the Westminster Magazine, and the name of the whole uh, number of articles in it was Light, uh, Light in Darkness. And one of the authors talked about uh, this problem of uh, choosing to do what's wrong, even in the 21st century. And it looks back all the way to the Garden of Eden, but it brings out this point, and it's entitled this, Man, the Darwinian Animal. Interesting title. In other words, the consequence of believing in the theology of Charles Darwin. He says this, it has taken a century for the basic implications of Darwinism to be realized, but now they certainly have been. And the result is so predictable. He says, now man is under no special moral law. He is not now nor ever will be accountable to God for his conduct. He should simply plan his life accordingly without any regard to what past generations considered moral obligations and without any accountability accountability to the future. His own selfish interests are the only thing that really matter now. That's called rebellion. (laughs) We don't like it in a little kid. We don't like it in an old man. We just don't like it at all unless, of course, it is in us. We could paraphrase that entire article, frankly, that entire magazine in one single sentence. It is this, You will be like God. You will be like God. Listen to anybody you want to. Believe anything you want to. There are no consequences. It's deadly. It's a lie. How sad that we chose to believe it. We're talking about the proclivity of the human being to believe the lie of the devil. That lie being you can be like God. The proclivity of the creature really to prefer any voice at all other than the voice of God, God's voice. We see that in verse 6. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the devil's lie. Of course, it's always alluring. The fruit might have been tasty. We assume that it was. Number two, and that it was a delight to the eyes. That means aesthetically pleasing to look at. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, perhaps intellectually appealing or attractive. In other words, quite like 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, all that's in the world, all that's opposed to God, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life. Oh, how tempting it must have been and still is. She took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the consequence, the world collapsed and things were never the same ever after. The most excellent of all of God's creatures, the human being fell. What folly and devastation in this belief that I can be like God. Not so. Well, it would have been good for Adam and Eve to listen to the voice of God. It would have been pleasing for Adam and Eve to look onto the things of God. It would have been intelligent of them to listen to the voice of God because God's goodness is always a better option than rebellion. The first offense is simply this, preferring the voice of the devil over the voice of God. 
Well, there's a second offense that's hard to listen to. It's a hard conversation to have. And that is the offense of plummeting humanity into death. The offense of plummeting humanity into death. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. And we read these three words, and they knew. So in verse 5, the devil says, God knows the day and the day you eat of it, you will be like God. And verse 7 says, uh-oh, they knew. They knew. And it's an alarming knowledge that they have picked up. Adam and Eve now knew something that they had never known before, but they probably weren't very happy with what they knew. Those two simple words, they knew, were deadly. Unless we deceive ourselves into believing that this knowledge was a little tiny consequence, that it wasn't a big deal. Consider what it was that Adam and Eve now knew, things that they didn't know before disobeying God. And the answer is that they knew that verse 5 was a lie. They were not like God. And they knew that in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they knew that God was totally and completely honest. In short, they knew death. Now, someone has said that the best synonym for death is separation. And it may not be the best synonym, but it certainly is a good synonym because death separates us from everything that we love. A couple of months ago, um, <clears throat> Dr. John, you're getting lots of press today, by the way, uh, referred me to a book, and the book is called Remember Death. Remember Death. It's written by Matt McCullough. And the premise of the book is simply this, that death takes everything that you have. Remember that. It takes everything that you have. One of the reasons that we sanitize and sentimentalize death is because death is so pitiless. It really does take everything that we love. It takes everything that we want. It takes our health. It takes our wealth. It takes our possessions. It takes our relationships. It takes people that we deeply love, and it just takes them away from us. They knew that. It takes our dignity. We go to a cemetery and the body that we spent however many years in is just laid in an old hole in the ground somewhere. Steals our dignity. Worst of all, I think, it steals our voice. It steals our very soul. Here's what I mean. 40 years from now or so, very few people are even going to mention your name. You thought about that? It's one of the things the book says. Do you think about it? You're the center of the universe. Now everything in the world kind of is in an orbit around you. When you die, good night. People won't even remember your name in 40 years. Not only that, they'll not only not remember your name, but almost no one will remember anything at all about you. Oh, yeah, Jerry Brush? Oh, yeah. Don't know much about that guy. 40 years from now or so. And here's the worst of all. Nobody is going to care what you think or what you thought. That's what death does to us. It takes all of the things that we love and it takes them away from us. All of that summarized in, in these two little words. They knew. They knew. Now, this author could have renamed that little book, Remember Death. He could have just re replaced that with this. They knew. 
they knew. Adam and Eve knew that they were not like God. Adam and Eve knew that they were separated from God. Adam and Eve knew that they were separated from each other. And in a few months, when their rebel son, Cain, decided to murder the other son, Abel, they would understand that death separated them from everything that they loved. We're having a hard conversation today. But that's what death does. It's in all of us, that deadly notion that we got to do whatever we want to do. We can think whatever we want to think. We can believe whatever we want to believe. But there'll be no consequence to that. We're wrong. We're wrong. Even religious people do that. It's true. We want to do religion. But we want to do it in the way that we want to do it. You know, if God's offended by what we do, or if God forbids something, it doesn't matter. This is the way I want to do religion. And the Bible, the God of the Bible is not going to restrain me from doing it. Now, we're not guilty of that here, I hope. But that is part of the religious culture of our day. And even secular peace, uh, people, right? we want all of the, the blessings that only God can give. We want those blessings for our country. We want those blessings for our family. We want those blessings for our personal lives. But we're going to pursue them in our own way. We're not going to include God in that conversation. And we just think we can do whatever we want to do, human beings, without any consequence at all. And our generation feels that more so probably than any generation in the history because we are so blessed. We have not lost very much. Genesis 3 simply speaks the truth. By the way, you know, this is a hard conversation. If, if you're listening in on the live stream, don't turn it off yet. And if you're sitting there, uh, don't be offended by what I'm saying because we're not the ones who ought to be offended. God is. And God was. That's the whole message of Genesis 3. God simply speaking the truth. The truth about Adam and Eve. The truth about every one of us since Eden. God says, hey, any tree. <laughs> any tree. But not that one tree. The devil says, eh, God is stingy. God is just being begrudging. God is selfish. He knows your eyes will be opened you will be like God. Well, Adam and Eve did know, and they knew. Now, I'm going to concede the fact that they were victimized, right? At least Eve was. Adam wasn't, but Eve was. She was deceived. Verse 13, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. But regardless, death had arrived, and the consequences were real. There are two consequences. We find one in verse 9 and one in verse 17. In verse 9, we, we recognize that mankind experienced separation from each other and from God immediately. Separation, um, distance from God immediately. Separation, distance from each other immediately. Verse 9, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid and because I was naked and I hid myself. Three implications or three good indications that you're a rebel. The first one is fear, right? I was afraid. Fear is the first one. Nakedness is the second one. You know, that, that consequence of, of making myself the center of the universe, this being preoccupied with myself, it, it makes me always feel uncomfortable. It makes me never want you to really know the person I am. And that's why Facebook is such a wonderful thing. I can put up all these pictures of who I'm not, and you believe some of it. So we're separated from each other and from God immediately. And then, of course, the third one is we run into hiding. 
those are three indications that maybe you've got the heart of a rebel. And so immediate, immediately there were things that happened. But the second consequence was eternal. Mankind experienced separation from God and from each other eternally. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15, we read this for in, as in Adam, all actually did die, that it actually occurred, that it took place. Now, so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's good news too. But the bottom line is the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we're just simply saying that with one bite, or maybe two, Adam's bite, Eve's bite, but with one bite, eternal death came for everybody. Everyone on the face of the earth it was immediately, it was eternally devastating, not only for Adam and Eve, but just think about this. Every child that was born, boy or girl, from Adam and Eve, they were victims to this curse, to the brokenness, subject to it, and condemned to death. And every grandkid, condemned to death. And every great-grandchild, condemned to death by what Adam and Eve now knew because of what they had done. Think about why it is so cool that we would be rebels. There's nothing good about it. Stephen Charnock in his book, The Existence and Attributes of God, he's speaking of this first transgression in the Garden of Eden. He says this, if we should rip up every vein of that first sin, should we find any want of wickedness? In other words, it was loaded with wickedness what Adam and Eve did. What was there, he says, but ingratitude, rebellion, discontent with God, spiritual adultery, preferring not only one of God's creatures, but one of his desperate enemies, the devil. And so he joins in league with hell against heaven. He enters in society with rebels, the very demons of hell, and actually murdered all those that were virtually in his loins. We're just saying that it's costly to be a rebel. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through men, one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. This was bad news. This was the hard conversation that needed to be had. And in fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 was, was so troubled by the devastation of it, both the trauma of it on the one side and the triumph on the other side, he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will separate me from this body of death. Well, the good news is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we have the two difficult conversations. One, preferring the devil over God. Two, plummeting humanity into death. But there's a good response. It is uh, in verse 15. It's not a promise like you and I make. It's a certainty. It's a guarantee. It is given to us by God. It is simply this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. This is good news because God is good always, even to rebels. Well, Genesis 3, uh, 15 is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first proclamation of the gospel in the whole Bible. God's declaring his goodness to rebels. So take a deep breath. At least part of the hard conversation is over. And we've moved into the good conversation. In other words, God is saying, I will bring a redeemer. 
The devil will bruise his heel, speaking of the cross, but he, the Redeemer, the God-man, the Messiah, he will crush the devil's head. And if you are a rebel, and you are, and so am I, this is the best news that you've ever heard. Well, a few summers ago, I was uh, asked to baptize my two nephews, and so I went upstate to, uh, to do that. And we went to a park, and along the edge of the park was the Susquehanna River, where we were going to baptize these different folks. And it was very swollen because it had rained and rained and rained, and the water was deep and high and moving quickly, and it was brown. Uh, you know, it was just yucky. It wasn't nice. It wasn't a nice day. It wasn't a nice river. Everything about it was kind of fearing or troubling. And so uh, the other pastor and I were... Uh, we had waded out into the water up to about, no oh, chest deep or so. And uh, uh, he was doing a couple of baptisms, and then I was going to baptize my two nephews. And uh, as he was in the process of doing the baptism, he was praying. And as I stood there, I, I heard a sound behind me. And uh, I'm thinking, I ought to be praying and being <laughs> paying attention to a baptism. But I kind of couldn't, I couldn't handle the ten, the the um, one, whatever it was, it bothered me enough that I turned and, and I looked and there is a little boy with blonde hair floating down the river. And so, you know, without thinking, you know, you reach back and you grabbed him, yanked him out and uh, he was okay. But I'm telling you, he was in trouble, whether he knew it or not. And uh, so it's kind of a neat thing to be able to rescue this little kid um, but he'd already gone past the point where he could cry out anymore. And uh, he really was in a predicament so, so that if we just, if, if I hadn't noticed it, let me say that, he would be five miles down that river before anyone knew that he was even gone. Ooh, it's called rescue. It's kind of what God has done for us because that's the human condition that we find ourselves in. We, we may not know it, we may not understand it, but we are floating down that river apart from Christ. It's where we live. We're just saying we're not like God when it comes to saving ourselves. And that's a good deal. God, God is always good. He's good even to rebels. And so when you say, why is it that, that we preach the gospel? Why is it that we proclaim the gospel, that we declare it? Why is it that, that we live it in our daily life? It is simply because we live in a culture that is floating downstream. And we live in a day where people believe totally in the lie. You can be like God. I mean, everyone I talk to, Everyone I talk to, well, you know, I'm smarter than all those people who lived before me. <laughs> they won't say it, but they think it. Or they're, they're thinking, you know, there's really no consequence. I can believe whatever I want to. All truth is my truth or else it's not truth. We can believe that. Listen to me. Listen to my grand insights. Be amazed at me. Look at my Facebook page. All of those things. You will be like God. No, we won't. It's a lie. And God needs to rescue us. Let me make a comparison and just add a little bit of theology. At the baptism along the Susquehanna River, I did not deceive that little boy. I, did not, I didn't walk over and encourage him to walk out into that dirty, raging river. I, I didn't um, hate this boy. I didn't laugh at this boy as he floated down the stream. But the devil does it. The devil does it. And he did it in the Garden of Eden 
and he continues to do it. John chapter 8, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, uh, prowls around like a roaring lying, lion seeking someone to devour. Guess who he's seeking to devour? You and me. He does hate your soul. We never, we need, we need to never forget that the devil hates our souls and he's hell bent on your death if you're unsaved. Number one, your physical death that you will die without ever trusting in Christ Jesus. That's really what he wants. Secondly, your spiritual death that you'll pay the consequence of that decision forever because the whole world is under the control and the power of the evil one. I'm just saying that the, the devil's great pleasure is to watch fools drift downstream into hell. Well, there are two caveats, lighten it up a little bit, <laughs> to this little boy who, um, who was rescued. Number one, his name was Max, if you can believe it. Not my Max, right? Not my grandson Max, but Max. And uh, he belonged to another family, not ours, which I thought was interesting. Number two, neither his parents nor Max himself seemed to be at all alarmed about what happened that day. Now, I can only assume that they had no idea what actually was happening. I knew. I was there. This little boy was in peril. This little guy was in trouble. They didn't get it. They didn't think it was a big deal, but it was a big deal. And if I had not been there, goodness of God to rebels. That's a big deal too. And in that we rejoice. Now we can talk about it. I'm just going to mention it this morning because I'm already running out of time. And I thought I had lots. I thought I was going to run out of stuff, but I'm not going to. But the good news, the good news basically being this, the Lord God commanded, don't eat of that one tree. Uh, therefore sin, they did. Therefore sin uh, came into the world through one man and death through sin. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. We know the gospel. The bad side of the gospel is that we really are rebels in our heart. The flip side of that is we really do need a redeemer. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Light has come into this world, but men love darkness rather than light. But that doesn't need to be the end of the story. This is like a 10-minute section. I'll just give you the bottom line, right? Which is... When they heard these things, uh, second, or Acts chapter 2, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now maybe you're hearing the gospel Maybe you're hearing this good news, God's goodness to rebel, and you're saying, rebels, and you're saying, well, well, that's boring, or that's unnecessary, or I have a better idea, or I have a nicer solution. And if you're saying that, then I'm saying maybe, maybe you're floating downstream and you just don't know it. Maybe you do need a Savior. So here's what you do. Just admit that it's true. Everything God says, it's all true. I am a rebel. I am all about myself. I have believed a lie. I do need a redeemer. Lord Jesus, save me, I pray. That's what Romans 10 tells us to do. If you believe in your uh, heart, 
if you, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God is just good to rebels. Now in your notes, I have three antagonisms that we'll save for another day. I'm going to mention them. Number one, God's goodness in establishing a holy enmity. enmity. In other words, God, God exposes the devil for who he is. Up until that point, Satan already hated Adam and Eve with a vilest of hatred, but they didn't know it. From this point on, they know. Right? And they knew. We know it too. The second antagonism is God's goodness in defining two offsprings. Your offspring, which speaks of an entire group of people who are under the control and the bondage of the devil, and her offspring, which includes, number one, a group of people who love the Lord and have been called by his name. But beyond that, it speaks of a specific offspring, who, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who through death is going to rescue us from our bondage to decay. And then the third one is, is this, and this is the big one, God's goodness in providing the victorious offspring, that being God in Christ was going to reconcile uh, to the world himself. So if you want a quick grammar lesson, and you do, because I'm going to give it, that little word bruised, is an interesting word. It's called a zugma in literature. And it just means the same word, but it's used in a kind of different way. So when you read that passage, you're, that he will strike your head, he will strike your heel or bruise your head, bruise, bruise your heel. He's using the same word, but he's using it in a very different way. Let me just explain it like this. If you strike a serpent on the head, if you bruise a snake on the head, what is the reason that you would do that? To destroy him. It's that simple, to kill it, right? But if a snake bruises a heel or strikes a heel, it doesn't mean that. It means maybe wounded, maybe a little bit more. And of course, it's a reflection of Jesus on the cross. And so two bad things, the offense of preferring the devil, the offense of plummeting humanity into death. One good thing, God's response this a promise, I will provide the solution. The Lord Jesus will destroy the evil one. Now we're on the stretch run, so let me just get to the last two. The third horrible offense is the offense of plunging creation into despair. Plunging creation into despair, verses 16 through 19. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. He will rule over you. And then in verse 17, to Adam, he said, curse is the ground because of you. And in verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, uh, you, uh, your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. These were immediate and these were miserable results, consequences. And they don't require a lot of explanation. We kind of understand, ladies, pain in childbirth. It's a primary calling. We get it. And you will be contrary to your husband relationally. We kind of understand that. To the man cursed is the ground and everything else, according to Romans chapter 8. And work is going to be a struggle until you die, which speaks of futility in absolutely everything. Not good for the woman. Not good for the man. It was a lie. And they knew. They knew. You will be like God. Now, every single day of their life, they knew. And in eternity, 
if we don't put our hope and our confidence in this one, this offspring, the Redeemer, the one who would come, will come, then we also will know. Not just for this time on earth, but for all of eternity. So the second, or the third horrible offense, number four, was the offense of plunging creation into despair. And finally, in verse 21, this wonderful, second wonderful demonstration of God's goodness His good response was provision, and the Lord God, verse 21, made for Adam and Eve and his wife garments. In other words, he clothed them. In other words, hope in a fallen world. Goodness, the goodness of God toward rebels includes eternity. The goodness of God toward rebels includes life on this earth. We ought to be so very thankful for those two things, but we need to never forget that both of them included death. Immediately, an animal had to die so garments could be made. And eternally, someone had to die. And of course, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, forsaking its shame. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. I'm just saying that God is so good to rebels. He cares for our immediate needs. He cares for our eternal needs. And Lord Jesus, we praise you for your wonderful goodness. Hey, rebel, which uniform would you have chosen? (laughs) Which army would you enlist in if you'd had the choice? The rebel army or the Union army? And I'm not talking about American Civil War. We're talking about Genesis chapter 3. There is good news uh, from God even for rebels. There are three ways that God wants us to respond to him. I've listed them for you judicially. God would really like to reconcile us to himself in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, being made right with God forever. Judicially, that's the goodness of God. Personally, Jesus would like to restore all of us to this complete, unashamed oneness with him, to walk with him, to dwell with him forever. Personally, And then eschatologically, we're just talking about the future. He would one day like to share all of heaven's glories with us. And I just ask you of those three things to the cynics among us. If you're one of the cynics, what's wrong with that? (laughs) What is wrong with, with God in Christ Jesus wanting to give us all of those things? And if you believe, I ask this question, how wonderful is that? We're just saying God is really good to rebels. So let me ask a question. Do we have time for a story? A stink bug story? I see a couple people saying no. There was one person who shook their head yes until I said stink bug, and then they went no. Here it is. A few days ago, I was sitting in my favorite armchair in the family room next to the red-hot embers of my coal stove nice and toasty and warm watching a football game. And I reached over on the end table to um, pick up my can of diet orange soda. And as my fingers wrapped around the can, I I felt this six-legged crawly thing on my soda can. And of course, I was instantly angry. It's a stink bug, a stink bug, right? It's uh, on the side of my soda can in my family room, disrupting my little kingdom. This is an offense to me. 
I hate stink bugs. I especially hate stink bugs that, that presume on my goodness. I mean, think about it. I, I give this little pathetic creature a nice warm house to live in. I give this little creature the privilege of watching the ball game with me. And he offends me. Just think it through. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out what to do. I'm sitting right next to the coal stove. <laughs> you know what I did. I grabbed a napkin, picked that thing up off the side of there, walked over to the coal stove, opened the coal stove, and <laughs> my world is worth living in again. And my kingdom has been restored. Now, don't judge me. Some of you are, some of you, I've seen you with fly swatters. That doesn't bother you. I've seen some of you ladies with your vacuum cleaner, tear, like a terror for these poor dust mites that lay in your carpet. You don't care about them. So don't talk to me about stink bugs. So I sat there thinking to myself, does my response to that little stink bug make me a bad person? <laughs> I don't know. You can decide but I know that that's my instant response to an offense. I'm just glad that God's instant response wasn't the same. That's all we're saying. I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will bring between your offspring and her offspring. You, Lord Jesus, will bruise the serpent's head, meaning the offspring. He will crush the serpent's head while he will bruise the redeemer's heel pointing directly to the cross. I'm just saying God is really good. He's good in, in his nature. He's good in creation. And he's mighty good to rebels. And for that we praise him. Father in heaven, we bow before you to acknowledge you are good. You're good to us. You're good to all people. Your common grace is for everybody. Your special grace is for those that you have redeemed. We would pray that we would live it out, that we would rejoice and exalt in your great goodness and never grow weary of praising you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.